Good morning. It is nice to see all of you. If you would, open your Bibles and join me in John chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to get one to you. And please feel free to keep it. Just raise your hand and we'll get it to you eventually. You can keep it or leave it at your seat when you leave. Uh, as you take notes, we're continuing to follow Jesus together in the Gospel of John. And the subtitle of the message this morning is Jesus is the True Vine, Part 2. And we will be doing a second lap this morning, building on last week, through John 15, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and begin by reading our entire text and then praying, and we'll jump right into the, the message this morning. You'll notice that Jesus is continuing to speak from the from John 14 and he begins in verse 1 of John 15 saying I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. And withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, this is the word of Christ. Let's look to him together in prayer. Oh, Father, you have spoken to your Son, and Jesus has spoken all of your words to us, including these that have been set before us this morning. And we pray that by your Spirit, you would do all the work necessary in each one of our hearts and minds in our lives, that we would be the fruitful, abiding branches in the glorious vine that is Jesus. And Father, you are the vine dresser, and so you remove and cut off and throw away those branches that don't bear fruit, and you prune the ones that do. Lord, this is a well-known and beloved text that you've given to us. We love your word because we love you. We love this image that Jesus has given to us. And at the same time, Lord, there can be many misunderstandings or because of familiarity that we, we lose sight of the power and wonder of Christ's word. So, Lord, by your spirit, open us to your word Conform us to it that you might be glorified. 
Father, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, Amen. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, maybe a, a common question, maybe a question that you have asked and answered before, but also it can be so common that we can lose sight. What does it look like to, to follow Jesus? Here is Jesus in the upper room. It's his farewell message. He is about to go to the cross, so they don't yet understand that. Judas has left to betray him, and he is using these words to teach not only the apostles, but to teach you and to teach us together what it means to follow Jesus. And in this famous passage of Jesus being the true vine, the father, the vine dresser, and, and us, the branches, questions and confusions abound. Does this passage teach that a Christian can lose his salvation? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Is it a mystical feeling? Is it a super spiritual state of personal piety? Is it something else? What are we to make of Jesus calling himself the true vine? What does that mean? And lastly, what does it mean that the Father prunes those who truly abide in Christ and throws away those who don't? What does that look like? All of these questions and more are bound up in the soil of this well-loved passage. We began to look at it last week by investigating what Jesus means by calling himself the true vine. But as I just read the text again for us, you may have noticed how repetitive Jesus is in his words in this illustration that he gives to us. How many times he repeats certain terms and key words, not just common ones, but important words. He mentions joy twice. He mentions keeping commandments five times. He mentions the word branch six times. He mentions fruit eight times, love nine times, and most of all, you heard it, you probably can say it, the word abide. In these 17 verses, and actually 10 of them, he says the word abide 11 times. And that's the focus of our text this morning. Last week, we picked up the diamond of this text, and we focused on Jesus being the great I am, I am the true vine. We turn the diamond to a new facet today. We're getting granular and focused, and we're focusing on two words, the words abide and fruit, because those who abide in Jesus bear fruit in Jesus, and those who do not bear fruit for Jesus show they do not abide in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, the outline is very similar to last week's. There's only one point, and the one point is this. Jesus is the true vine, so abide in him. But there are three subpoints to this one point, and they are questions to give us clarity on what Jesus is teaching. So the first question we will ask is this. What are some misunderstandings about this idea of abiding in Jesus? How can we misconstrue what Jesus is saying? And then next, we're going to ask, well, what does it mean then to abide in Jesus? And then we will close our time by looking at what does it look like? What does it mean to bear fruit for the Father? What we're doing in these weeks as we're passing through John 15 is we're taking these pieces. I am the true vine. Today, uh, abide in fruit. And we are going granular with them to get the details of the bark on the trees, to mix a bunch of metaphors, to zoom back out and look at the forest to understand what this beautiful, beloved passage is teaching. So let's move right into it as we're thinking about Jesus is the true vine and you must abide in him. Our first question is, what are some misunderstandings? Let's clear those away so we can understand rightly. What are some misunderstandings about, about abiding in Jesus? Let's review again verses 4 through 9. Tune your ears 
in this section to how Jesus uses and illustrates this word abide. Verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, you, you heard it again, as I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, the key word in this text of Jesus here in John 15 is the word abide. He says it the most often. He says it 11 times. And one way to clue yourself into being a skilled and competent Bible reader is when you see repetition, especially of, of words, you note that term and you know, okay, that, that is where Jesus is driving us. He wants us to abide and to abide believingly, and to abide in Him. What does that mean? Well, as a word, simply put and broadly speaking, the word abide simply means to stay. It means to remain. And it's used a number of times in our Bibles. So it can refer to staying in a location, abiding in a house, though that doesn't sound, um, doesn't work very well in English, so we say he remained in the house or stayed in the house. That's an example. So the word abide can refer to a location. But also, the word abide can refer to a state. Uh, meaning, for example, example in Hebrews 7.3, it says that Jesus remains a priest forever. It's the same Greek word. So you could say Jesus abides a priest forever. It just sounds strange, so the translators use the word remain. He stays a priest forever. But when it comes to John 15, and when it comes to these words about abiding, there is a large swath of Christian teaching that throws out careful cross-referencing and removes inspection of the meaning and uses of the same word in other texts and treats this as well a mystical, subjective, emotional experience. A mystical experience. It's treated in many sections of Christianity that this is a abiding in Christ fluctuates based on how you feel and that your life is in many ways lived to get to a certain state where you can finally abide in Christ. Almost a higher level of living, a higher level and experience of the Spirit and more. For example, one article I came across in defining what Jesus is teaching in John 15, the author said that abiding in Christ means believing and trusting in Jesus. Yes and amen, 100%. It absolutely starts with that. Undeniable. If you don't believe in Jesus and trust him, if you don't believe that Jesus lived in your place sinlessly, if you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, atoning for your guilt before God, and if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you don't abide in Christ. You must believe and you must trust. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, we as a church family invite you 
and admonish you and encourage you to turn and to believe those gospel truths of Jesus. But as I was saying, in this article, the author doesn't stop there. He says about defining what it means to abide in Christ. He says it's also to welcome Christ. He says it is fully attaching ourselves to Jesus and drawing our necessary life force from Jesus and describes it as basking in Jesus' love. So go back to what I said a moment ago. There's large swaths, large sections of the Christian church that teach that what Jesus is teaching about abiding in him is basking in Jesus' love. It's welcoming Christ. It is drawing necessary life force from him. What does that mean? And what does that look like? Those are just floaty cloud words that sound really good. I want to bask in Jesus' love. And I don't really know what it means to draw your necessary life force from him. I understand the author is looking that if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, we draw the, the, the wine, the, the, the juice, the, this, the sap from the vine to have nutrients. Is probably that's where he's going. But, but what does it mean to look like, to, to welcome Christ and bask in his love? Uh, the moment that Jesus saved you, the Spirit regenerated you in John chapter 3, Jesus was welcomed into your life, and he's been welcome ever since, and he owns you because he's your king and creator and savior. So to welcome the language then, if, because it's so vague and mystical, it leaves it into your mind to figure out what in the world his guy is saying in the first place. And we tend to mysticize this, and because we are so subjective, because we're so feeling-based and emotions-based, we turn this into this idea that, well, basking in Jesus' love is really an emotional state you must achieve. And when you achieve that state, then you are abiding. This language sounds nice, but is nothing more than emotional experiences that brighten or fade based on how you feel about Jesus at any given moment. It paints a picture of a bunch of guys sitting around or just some church members. And you walk around and they're just sitting with the glowing face. <laughs> guys, what are you doing? Basking in Jesus' love. They might have a lounge chair sitting out in the south-facing sun, whatever it is. It just paints this picture. But we love Jesus, and we want to follow Jesus, and we want to be obedient to Jesus, and we want to represent Jesus. And so if that's what is taught, it means to abide, then you can't fault, in one sense, believers for hearing that since they're taught it and thinking that I have to achieve an emotional state is that what Jesus means in John 15? You must pull yourself up by the bootstraps of your heart and conjure up emotions so that you can abide in Jesus. Is Jesus teaching that you need to achieve a feeling-based state in which you can finally bask in his love? And if you lose those feelings of basking in Jesus' love, then the Father's going to cut you off as a branch and throw you into hell. Guess what the answer is? No. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not teaching that abiding is a private moment of solitude or a certain spiritual state that super Christians can achieve. Jesus is not teaching about mystical experiences. Then what is Jesus teaching? That's point number two. What then does it mean to abide in Jesus. And for that, we will turn to verse 10. Verse 10 is the hinge, linchpin. Verse 10 is the uh, interpretive key 
to the text, and there are others, but this is the key text to understand how Jesus explains what it means to abide and to bear fruit. And we have to be careful grammarians. We need to read the word carefully and look at the logical connections, just how language works, of what Jesus is saying. So, number two, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Because it is clearly eternally important. Because if you abide in Jesus, you, you necessarily bear fruit. But if you don't bear fruit, you prove that you don't abide, and the Father's going to cut you off and throw you away. What does it mean to abide? Verse 10, listen to Jesus. If, it's a conditional statement, if you keep my commandments, keep means guard, keep means obey, keep means know, keep means observe. If you keep my commandments, then you, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. You just stop there. How do you know you're abiding in Jesus' love? You're keeping his commandments. Work the text in reverse. But the text continues, just as Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How is God the Son incarnate abiding in God the Father's love? Because Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father in this life. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This verse is the heart of understanding what Jesus means when he says, abide in me. Consider it the negative. If you don't keep my commandments, you will not abide in my love. When Jesus speaks of abiding in me, verse 4, abiding in the vine, also verse 4, abiding in his word, verse 7, and here, abiding in his love, that's me, vine, word, and love. Those are not four different ways of abiding. Those are not four different locations of abiding. Those are not four different things about abiding. Jesus is saying the same thing in different ways over and over and over again. The record of this text skips on the word abide. Abide in me, abide in the vine, abide in his word, abide in my love are the same thing. So if you look at verse 10, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? It's the simple equation. Again, we, you cannot miss this. Don't miss the clarity of Christ's word. It's a conditional statement. If you, then you will. If you keep, then you will abide. If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. Abide in the vine. Abide in my word. Abide in me. So, the question before us is, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? In verse 10, it's this. To abide is to obey. To abide is to obey. We can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is giving us an illustration He's giving us a metaphor. He's not literally a vine. You are not literally a piece of wood or branch attached to a vine. We are image bearers of God. We are people. He's giving us an illustration or a metaphor. And he's explaining to the disciples and to you and to us what it looks like for us to be us following Jesus. I mentioned in passing last week as we were exploring what it means that Jesus is the true vine that this vine metaphor in chapter 15 is commentary on what he has just taught us in chapter 14, right? You can't lose context. Context is the text around the text. And so John 15 
is explaining what he just taught us. So for example, here's a handy dandy chart. You can take a photo. The chart that we have is this. What I'm showing you is in the left column, you have a sampling of verses from chapter 14. And in the right column, you have a sampling of verses that we are reading right now in John 15. And in the middle column, it's the same teaching, same concept that Jesus is giving, demonstrating that Jesus is commentating, he is illustrating what he taught in chapter 14. Right? So the, the first row, in chapter 14, he said, if you love me, you will keep my word. And, and we just read in, in chapter 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He's saying the same thing. In the negative, in verse 24 of chapter 14, uh, he who does not love me does not keep my word. And in John 15, the one who does not abide in Jesus does not bear fruit for Jesus, does not keep his word. Uh, we, we saw back in chapter 14 these strange comments to our ears where it sounds like Jesus is giving a blank check of prayer, like God is a cosmic sky genie, that you can ask him for whatever you want and he'll give it to you. No, what we're seeing both in chapter 14 and chapter 15 is that when we love Jesus and abide in Jesus, we're filled with the word of Jesus. So when we pray to Jesus, we're praying prayers, not selfishly and not ignorantly, but shaped and driven by, the, by Christ's word. We saw in chapter 14 that Jesus' teaching gives us his peace, and here in verse 11 gives us his joy when we love and abide in him. And the grounds of it all, is that Jesus himself did it first as the true man and last Adam. In 1431, Jesus perfectly obeys the Father and loves him. And here in 9 and 10, Jesus perfectly abides in the Father. So see here that when I'm claiming to abide is to obey, it's from carefully looking at and comparing what Jesus is teaching. So no, it is not a enchanted mystical experience of achieving some certain spiritual state and then being able to bask in Christ's love. Friend, if you are born again, you are basking in Christ's love because he has given it to you through his death and resurrection. Abiding is not an abstract emotion, basking in the sea of Jesus' love. No, abiding has a towel around its waist. Abiding in Jesus has rolled up sleeves. Abiding in Jesus has dirty hands from doing hard work for other people. And it's all because of Jesus' gospel love for us. So don't mishear me to say that there is no sentiment or emotion involved. We love God because he first loved us. But if you delimit this to just teach a certain emotional experience, you've completely missed, misunderstood, and have been mistaught what Jesus teaches. To abide is to obey. It's to keep his word. It is to have his word in you. To abide in Jesus is to know and obey Jesus' words. If you keep my commandments... What are his commandments? It's another way of saying his word. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Read the book of Ephesians. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. And you will understand how Jesus teaches us to live and what he commands of us. And when we walk in obedience to his word, that is abiding in his love. So, Jesus' teaching on the vine and abiding him is not primarily about what you should feel. Jesus' teaching on abiding in him is primarily about what you should do as evidence of what you believe. It is a fruit-bearing life. This is Jesus calling us to joyful holiness 
and joyful obedience. When you are justified in Christ and born again, sanctification does something. It changes us. And this point, to drive it further home and to make sure that it's not missed and to make sure that it's sturdy like granite, this point is made even stronger when we look to the book of 1 John. Right? The Apostle John wrote John, and he also wrote 1 John. And the more I interact with 1 John, the more it really looks like a commentary on the Upper Room Discourse to me. In 1 John, the Apostle uses this word abide 22 times in 1 John. 22 times. And I would encourage you to go home and read 1 John and pay special attention to all the uses of how he uses the word abide to define it. But let me just show you one. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Listen to how the Apostle John explains to us what Jesus is teaching here and more in John 15. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, Whoever says... I know Jesus, but does not keep Jesus' commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps Jesus' word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Pause. One of the glorious things about the simplicity and profoundness of John writing in 1 John is he gives these tests to the believer, these statements, such as this. By this, we may know that we are in him. So it's a, it's a, it's a fruit inspection verse. By this, we know that we are in him. Verse 6. Whoever says... That he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. That's a test. It's an inspection. Now, 1 John and Jesus and the Bible are clear. It's not the perfection of your walk. It's the perfection of your Savior. But it's across a lifetime the fruit bearing. There, there are seasons of suffering. There are, there are seasons of being perhaps ensnared by sin. But the one truly born of God who truly abides in Jesus by the power of the Spirit and the help of the family of Christ, the local church, is able to get out of those thorns and ultimately bear fruit for Jesus. So the person who abides in Jesus... According to 1 John, the person who abides in Jesus walks like Jesus. So what does this all mean? It means you should never, ever, ever misunderstand this passage to teach that you're trying to achieve a certain type of emotional state, a certain um, uh, species of personal piety, that you let go and let God and all the bad of teaching associated with that statement. Make no mistake, new life in Christ leads to new living in Christ. To abide is to obey. If you abide in Jesus, you will behave like Jesus. More and more across your lifetime. So, in context, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? To abide is to believingly obey. And the point of abiding in this passage is bearing fruit. That's what's the problem with the idea of a mystical experience and basking. Is it causes a Christian to retreat into isolation and to have an individualized personal experience with Jesus. But in Jesus' mind, your abiding means you must bear fruit. 
And it's the non-fruit-bearing branches that are cut off since they're worthless and dead. So Jesus makes clear we can't understand abiding from fruit-bearing. And the notions of basking in Christ's love sever the branch from the vine of truth that to abide is to bear fruit. So that it does something. And we're going to look at fruit-bearing in greater detail next time. But for now, our final point, number three, what does it look like to bear fruit for the Father? Look at verses 7 and 8, and we will eventually make our way down to verse 17. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Pause. Notice that hinge point. I mentioned it earlier. If you abide in me and my words remain or stay or abide in you, then you should pray. Then you can ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So verse 8 teaches us that what hinges upon the fruit in your life is the Father's glory and the proof of your discipleship to Jesus. So note the progression of these two verses that lead to fruit. First, in verse 7, abide in Jesus. Means to have his word in you, living in you, working in you. And then this leads to praying. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This leads to praying according to Jesus' will because our prayer is informed by his word. And then finally in verse 8, this then, when you are a word-filled, competent Bible reader, skilled theologian, how does the Bible fit together? What does it say about God and Jesus and salvation and more? When we are filled with his word, then we pray rightly. Because the Spirit of God works with His inspired Word of God in us to shape our prayers. So we begin to pray prayers that glorify God because those are the very prayers He intends to answer. God works through means. He is sovereign. He is providential. And yet He has ordained that He uses our prayers to accomplish His purposes. And all of that, in verses 7 and 8, prove that we are Jesus' disciples. They display we are Jesus' disciples. What does? The fruit. Why do we have fruit? Well, we prayed. Why do we pray? Because we are filled with the word. Why do we fill with the word? Because we were abiding in Jesus, working backwards through the text. And again, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you command you so that you will love one another. Verse 17 is the punchline. Verse 17 is the final words of what Jesus says. What has been Jesus' aim in commentating on chapter 14 with the vine, vine dresser, branch, pruning, and obedience, and love? What is Jesus' aim in all these words? That he commands you in verse 17 to love one another. That's the whole point of everything that he's saying in this illustration. The, the fruit, the branches produce, the fruit that you, dear Christian, are to produce in your life are not mere emotions and sentiments. Jesus Christ lived, died, rose in your place, 
Jesus toweled his waist in your place so that your new life in him would bear fruit, which he says in verse 17 is your love for one another. The fruit the branches produce are lives that reflect the hands of Jesus, especially our attitudes and our actions towards one another. Again, we'll get into more fruit bearing, but, but, but what is a good work in the Bible? A good work is anything done in the name of Christ, on behalf of Christ. And here the fruit bearing, our love for one another, is about our attitudes. So there is an emotion and sentiment. But it's also our actions toward one another. Your attitudes can show unlove to one another, and your actions can show unlove to one another. Jesus wants us to abide in him so that the Father bears fruit, which is our love for one another. What's the contrast? It's Judas. Do you remember him? Just chapter 13. Judas was with Jesus. Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons. He was a better churchgoer than you are, so to speak. Judas saw all of Jesus' miracles, but Judas still sold Jesus out for earthly treasures. Judas did not abide in the vine, and he was cut off and thrown out. Judas did not obey Jesus. Judas did not love Jesus, and Judas did not love his brothers or sisters. He produced no fruit, and so he was cast out. And this is contrasted with the disciples. They did remain. They did abide. They crossed the finish line into glory. Their lives read across, for example, the book of Acts. They all gave their living life, their whole life, to making and shaping disciples of Jesus. And that, friends, is what disciples do. If you name the name of Christ, that means that you are giving your life over to making and shaping disciples of Christ. And then when I say that, if you suddenly think, well, does that mean I need to quit my job and work for some ministry? Your job is your ministry. Your whole life is your ministry. Your whole life is about the expansion of Christ's kingdom through seeing the lost saved and the saved made more into the image of Christ. Every Christian who is a Christian, our task is to abide in Jesus, and that love for others reveals itself in making and shaping disciples of Jesus. And those are huge topics, but let's see if we can give you another perspective. When Jesus says that his command in all of this is to love one another, let's not forget what he said in chapter 13 after he dried their feet. Uh, he said in chapter 13, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then down in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people... That is, even the unbelieving world outside, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what did verse 17 say to us in our text? These things I command to you so that you will love one another. 
So let me give you some handles to hold on to, to walk out this morning, to be prepared to come back next time and get more of ideas of what this fruit means. At the most basic level, at the most basic level of Jesus' teaching, in light of his resurrection and ascension, pouring out the Spirit and the finishing of our Bible, at the most basic level, your fruit for Jesus to the Father's glory is revealed in your actions and attitudes to your church family. It's the most basic handle. I want you to walk away thinking about to abide is to obey, and to abide and obey is to bear fruit prayerfully because you're full of the word, and that fruit that is born is loving one another, and that can seem abstract, but loving one another has hands and feet, it's actions and attitudes, it's heart dispositions, it's the toweled waist at the most basic level for you to bear fruit for Jesus is your actions to and your attitudes toward this church family. And if you're visiting from somewhere else and you belong to another church, your actions and attitudes to your home church family. How do you know you're abiding in Jesus? How do you know you are bearing fruit to the glory of the Father? How will an unbelieving world know that you are Jesus' disciple? By your loving actions and your loving attitudes to your church family. Jesus lived and served in your place as the sinless servant so that you could now bear your cross with a towel around your waist, abiding in Jesus, loving others as Jesus loved you. What did he say? Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus bore your sins on the cross so that you could now lay down your life for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ and the young ones among us, dying to yourself to help others have life in Christ. What would that look like for you to do that today and every day to follow? What would it look like for you to demonstrate your fruit in your life through your love for your church family? Jesus rose from the dead and he poured out his spirit to empower you to abide, to empower you to abide in his word, to keep his word, and to love the brothers. And, and friends, this is not a burden. How can I say that? Verse 11, what did he tell us? Obedience for the Christian is not burdensome. What does verse 11 say? These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Time and again, Christ and his word links your satisfaction in life, your joy in life, your pleasure in life with your satisfaction in Jesus, your pleasure in Jesus, your joy in Jesus through your love to others. And it may very well be that your actions and attitudes are negative or diminished towards your church family, and therefore your love for Jesus seems to wax and wane and to diminish, it's because, in many ways, you're not obeying Christ by loving one another. You see, we, the error would be to reduce love one another to saying, well, it's just my biological family. Or to so broaden it that it's a generic love for all Christians everywhere. Of course all Christians everywhere. We should pay, as a church family, special attention to the persecuted church and see what we can do to alleviate their burdens and identify with them. But Christ, across the New Testament, this is always located in your daily life, in your church family. So this is not a burden, dear friends. It's that Jesus' joy may be in you because he died for your brothers and sisters. And when you recognize that Jesus shed his blood for them and you and poured out his grace on them and you and their blood-bought saints like you, Jesus' joy is in you and then spills over into your love for them. So for many of you, rejoice 
Rejoice that the joy that you have in your church family is evidence that you abide in Christ. Rejoice that you love Jesus and you love his word and it is bearing fruit in your life and you are abiding in Christ. Rejoice that as you survey your calendar and your wallet and your actions and your attitudes, as you survey your life, you see that your life is dedicated imperfectly. We're all in sanctification. We all have remaining sin. But your life is dedicated to blessing and building your church family. That is the fruit of the Spirit in your life, contributing to the discipleship of others. Rejoice that your unrelenting partnership and prayers to advance the gospel in and through us is fruit in your life. Does that describe you? Does your bank account show that you truly love one another? Does your calendar show it? Do your actions reveal it? Does your attitude portray it? So on the one hand, this is a call from Christ to self-examination. On the one hand, looking at the perfection of our Savior, who knows that we have remaining sin and will will have the remaining sin, that we are weak, we can be downtrodden, and yet the trajectory and sum total of our life is that we love Christ's bride. We are part of his body and we give our lives to seeing it built in all areas of our life. So church, this is a call to examine and it's a call to rejoice. It's a call to abide and it's a call to work for Jesus' joy in others. Amen? Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, have given us both your peace and joy because of your gospel work and the gift of your spirit poured out. Lord, we do thank you that you do call us to a life of obedience and holiness, but not an obedience and a holiness that we contrive, that we can create on our own, but it's an obedience that comes from remaining in Jesus, being full of your word, and putting your word into action in our lives. So Lord, help our love. As we are honest with ourselves, we see that there are many times that we don't love you with the strength that we would desire. We don't love our church family with the strength that we desire. But with you, there is grace. With you, there is the gift of repentance. With you, there is the gift of your spirit to strengthen us to love you and love one another. So Jesus, let us and the other gospel-preaching churches in town be found in such a way of loving one another that the watching world would know that we are disciples of Jesus by how we love one another. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, let's